Good evening, everybody. Aaron and I were talking after the prayer, the prayer meeting yesterday, and we're excited to find out that the Lord led us to share on the same theme about the church. So it wasn't planned, but and then as I looked at the titles of the messages in the bulletin, I was like, wow, both on the church. So may the Lord help us in this area. We're going to be looking at some qualities of a healthy church tonight. Four qualities in, in particular from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. So I'm going to read the text and then we'll go back and look at those four qualities. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So there is so much here. So we're not going to be able to look at everything in this text. There is a lot here. It's a wonderful text to look at. But we are going to pull four qualities of a healthy church and pray by God's grace that God helps us in these areas to really aim for them in our own local body here. The first one is going to be in the first three verses. The first quality is unity. First three verses, I'm going to read them again. It says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering." bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity, there it is, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So this has to do with, as it says, with how we are to walk worthy of the calling. There's a a standard where the, by which the Christian is to walk, and the Christian is expected to walk this way. As Christians, we can't just walk however we want to. We can't just live however we want to. Some may have that belief, well, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, I prayed the prayer, but uh, you really can't judge me as far as how I live or how I walk. Well, there is a standard that God expects of his people, and it's going to be this, walking worthy of the calling. And it includes in 
in these first three verses here that the Christian is to be three things right here, lowly, gentle, and long-suffering. Three, three characteristics that should be evident in our lives, especially when we gather together in the local church. And we can think this way. When I'm fellowshipping with my brethren, I am to be, I am to show humility. I'm to strive to restrain my pride, strive not to be boastful, strive not to bring attention to myself, but I should be humble and esteem my brother, esteem my sister more than myself. So we're to show humility. We're to be gentle. And this is a characteristic gentleness that's especially important when conversations can get heated. We can think, well, is gentleness just for those who are taking care of young children? Well, it's helpful there, but the way the scriptures talk about it, especially in the New Testament, gentleness is important when dealing with all all people, believers and unbelievers alike. We always should be gentle when we're when we're associating with one another. And it says we're to be long suffering. Long suffering. If it's difficult for you to be patient with other people, well, then you have an idea of what that suffering part means when it says long suffering. It it should be difficult for you. It should be difficult to show patience, to wait, to wait for your brothers and to wait for your sisters. And two of these three characteristics are are two parts of the nine parts of the fruit of the spirit. So these these really are not to be foreign to the Christian. We all have these. We all have these characteristics within us. Then it says bearing with one another in love. This has to do, do with dealing with each other in difficult circumstances, putting up with, the, with each other. Bearing with one another in love. True friendships, true friendships take, take time. They, they take time. They're, they're built upon time. They're built upon um, seasons in our life when things are difficult. They're not built upon superficial relationships. True friendships aren't just when things are convenient. We gotta go through difficulties and, and we need, we need times where we're, we actually, we're different than each other. We disagree with each other. We, we may even sin against each other and forgive each other. And in those times, we are actually learning to bear with one another in love. And, and this is really how we are to treat each other. And it's to be done in a way that is in love. And it says, it says there in verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity. It, it doesn't say that we are to try to gain unity. The way it reads is that we already have unity. In Christ, we already have unity with one another. But we are to maintain that unity. We are to keep that unity and even build that unity up with one another. And without unity, without this unity, the church is not healthy. It's not a healthy relationship. If, if there's disunity in the local church as a whole, the church is not going to be a healthy church. We need unity. There, there, there must be Unity, and that comes through closeness, through associating with one another. If you don't know each other, you can't say, well, I'm not arguing with the person, so there, I guess there's unity there. Well, no, unity comes through knowing one another, closeness with each other, and there still being unity, and there still being love shown and love experienced and love felt from one to another. The second quality we have here is going to be healthy doctrine. Healthy Doctrine. If, if a church lacks teaching doctrine, well, then you're going to have the members of that church believing anything and everything that they want to. And there's no, there's no standard of doctrine to critique false doctrine. So people are going to just believe whatever they want 
And there won't be unity in doctrine. There won't be unity in belief. And there will really be superficial unity. Again, it, a, a false unity. Rather than believing in the God of the scriptures, people will believe the God of their own opinion. And when that happens, well, people believe in different gods. Some believe in the one true God and some believe in a, a God of their, their own making. So the next three verses deal with doctrine, verses 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6 right here. They deal with doctrine. They deal with what we believe in. And I'm going to read the next four verses, verses 4 through 6. And notice in there how many times we have the word one. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. The word one right here has to do with uniformity, sameness, unity. This is really unity in doctrine. And in order to have unity in doctrine, well, doctrine must be taught. Doctrine must be taught it. It must not be avoided. When I when we moved to Laredo, uh, I was looking for a, a local church to to attend on Wednesdays because we're still driving up to GCC in San Antonio, and uh, and I went to one church there, and um, it seemed like it was it was safe. It 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 wasn't Baptistic. It was more mainstream, but it wasn't charismatic. So I went there and I, I talked to the the leader for that night, and I asked him what what their doctrine was, and he he told me that they don't teach doctrine. And the way he responded to me was like he saw it as something that was negative. Of course, he didn't know what doctrine was, that doctrine simply means teaching. But he was someone that didn't like that term. And people like that, they think that doctrine divides. And really, you know, doctrine does divide. Doctrine does divide. It divides the unbiblical from the biblical. It divides false teaching from the true teaching that we find in the scriptures. So we need to have doctrine. And we need to have unity along with the doctrine. Those verses there, verses 4 through 6, show that we're all saved the same way through the same gospel and by the same God. They show we all have the same hope. You know, it talks about these different areas of doctrine. And there's that one there, meaning we all experience this, this same basic fundamental beliefs. We all hold to them. We have the same hope, the same baptism, and are part of the same body of Christ. So this is unity and doctrine. And even in there, we see the Father, the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, and the Spirit. We have the Trinity there. Without the teaching of the Trinity and the belief in the Trinity, it's not going to be a true, healthy Christian church. So I'd say don't avoid doctrine. Some of us may be given to it and may enjoy it. Other, others of us, it may be difficult, to, difficult for us. It is difficult to study. It is, it is difficult many times and it's, it can be hard, but don't avoid doctrine. Doctrine is necessary. And the more doctrine we know, the safer we are when it comes to false teaching. And the more we honor God, because it's God's word. It's God's scriptures. It's God's truth. And as we are learning God's word, we are honoring God. So the third quality. The third quality is the proper use of gifts to serve one another. The proper use of gifts to serve one another. And I'm not just saying spiritual gifts, I'm saying the proper use of them, because we know how the Corinthian church was, right? You know, they had gifts, but there, there was some problems there with the flesh. And even today, we see those who, who are, um, those who say that they believe in the gifts, and, and we can 
wonder about them and sometimes they say that they believe in gifts but it could just be the flesh and, and not be true biblical gifts from the Holy Spirit. So the proper use of gifts to serve one another. Look there at verse 7. Verse 7 says, To each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Notice how the verse begins with the word but. It says there at the beginning, but. So this conjunction shows that there is a contrasting statement that we're reading here in this verse that's different from what we saw before. A contrasting statement. We really go from everyone having the same Father, Lord, the same Spirit, the same baptism, etc., to God giving to each individual Christian different measures. He's measuring out to his people different gifts according to his purpose for his church, for the building up of his church. So there is a change in emphasis. We go from the body, sameness in the body, to the individual Christian. And each individual Christian is given something. What are we given? What does it say there? Gifts. What does it say, gifts? In verse 7? Grace. It does say Christ's gift, right? According, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Yeah, it says grace. It says grace was given. Grace. And grace can be translated as favor. That's how we see it as grace unto salvation. Grace also can be translated as gift. The Greek word there is charis. And we have the word charismatic from there. And the charismatics, they, they believe in the gifts. So that's the word charis. Gifts. But right here where it's saying grace was given, it's not referring to the grace that leads to salvation. It's not referring to salvation by grace because it's there is the change, right? If it was, it would have to do with the verses 4 through 6. The, the, the area of, of the scriptures that deal with what we all have together as Christians. But it changes. It says, but to each individual, Jesus is measuring out these gifts. So th- this is the... This, this is gifts. This is grace that is actually gifts that Christ has given. So we went from unity in doctrine to a diversity in gifts. And each one of us really needs to, I would say, I would encourage us that each one of us should look at the gifts in the scriptures and, and study them and see where God can gift each one of us or where God has gifted each one of us. The gifts are necessary. God has given them to us to benefit the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 17 and 18, it says, If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So we need all of the members of the body in order for the body to be working properly. We need the eyes, the ears, the noses. We need all the members of the body in order for it to be a healthy body. It's really difficult to be part of a spiritually crippled body. You can think of it you can think of it in, in an earthly way, but this is talking in a spiritual sense. If the body is not working right, if 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 the eyes aren't working right, if the ears aren't working right, if if the hands or the feet are not working right, that that is that is a difficulty. And at the, in the same way, we need every part of the body working. So we want to be a spiritually healthy church. We want eyes seeing, we want ears hearing, we want feet walking, hands giving, and and mouths speaking. We want to be a healthy church. 
So we're not going to look at all of the gifts that the scriptures give to us, but I just want to give them to you. If you're not familiar with them, you can write them down and you can read them later. They're in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, and then right here there's another list in Ephesians 4. And there's a, there's a, there's a lot of different gifts that are mentioned here. They include helping, gifts of helping, gifts of service, giving, faith, leadership, teaching, and more. There, there's, there's a lot of gifts mentioned here. And, and I don't think that every one of these gifts, as, as you read them, I don't think every one of these gifts exists for today. For example, there's the, the gift of apostle. I don't think there's any more apostles today. And the apostles had certain gifts that I don't think every Christian is given. And, and I do recognize that when Christians look at these gifts, some believe, some see them in different ways than other believers. And some may believe that they're walking in them and, and it may not be the gift or it could be the gift. So I understand there's differences in how we see these gifts, but don't just avoid the gifts altogether if it's a difficult situation or a difficult topic for you. I spent the, the first four years of my Christian walk as, as a charismatic. And I was charismatic for so long because I didn't know that there was better teaching. And they would say things like, well, don't go to the Baptist churches because they don't have the Holy Spirit. So you would go from, I would go from charismatic church to charismatic church. And I was very zealous as a young Christian. I got saved at 18. So I was going to all the Friday night prayer meetings and we were there praying in tongues. And, and we knew where all the, all the charismatic hangouts were. And we we're, we're trying to be very, very spiritual. So I, I recognized, oh, I stopped praying in tongues and I stopped a lot of those, those, um, faulty beliefs by God's grace. But I recognize that there's a lot of bad teaching in charismatic circles. I recognize that that doctrine is, uh, it's, it's not biblical. There's a lot of emotionalism in there. There's a lot of, uh, things of the flesh in there. But because they are so unbiblical, that doesn't mean that we as Christians who aren't charismatic are to avoid the gifts of the Spirit that we read about in the scriptures. I think the gifts are given to the church in order to help the body. And that's the way it reads. A gift is given to one brother, not for his own sake, not for his own benefit, but to help his brothers and his sisters around him. So, this is the third quality of the healthy church. A proper use of the gifts given to the body, used in a way to serve one another. And the church is healthy when we're using these gifts to serve one another. And all the gifts are not mystical, if we may think that. The gifts are given to a lot of them are just very practical and they make for a healthy church. And I think it's healthy for the members of the church to look at these lists of these gifts and to ask the Lord for them, to ask the Lord to give them, to give us these gifts. When your children ask you to give to give them something and it's something that's good for them, are you upset because they ask you for things? We, we give things to our children that we don't even think is really good for them. But because they ask us and ask us and because their hearts may be right with us as they're asking us, we think, okay, well, I'll, I'll give it to him, even though I don't really want to. How much more will we be happy to give our children something that we know is good for them and that we would like them to have? And, and they're actually thinking like we want them to think and they're asking us for these gifts. Well, if we ask God for these gifts of the Spirit that we find in the Scriptures in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. When, we, when we're asking our God for these gifts, that will be a help to Christ's church. That will be help to us in our growth with the Lord. That will be a, a help to our maturity. I think 
the Lord is happy to answer our requests. He delights in, in his children coming to ask him for these things. And when you see a particular giftedness in a brother or sister, when you recognize that, gift, that giftedness, criticize them for it and, and break them down because of it. Right? <laughs> no. Don't, don't be overly critical when you see a particular giftedness in a brother or sister. Encourage them in that gift. Encourage them in that because that will cause them to, to work at it more and to increase in it. And, and we can grow in our gifts. Remember Paul the Apostle told Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you that you receive by the laying on of hands. So these gifts can, can get strengthened. They can grow as we mature in the faith, as we continue to, to act in them. I believe, I believe the Lord can give us new gifts as we continue to walk with him and, and mature with him. But when we see these gifts being active in other people, affirm those gifts, affirm their giftedness. What, what does it mean to affirm? It simply means to recognize that you see it by, by showing them that you see it, telling them that you see it, and say that it's good. Recognize that gift that, they, that they've done or that they've said and let them know that you see it and that you think it's a good thing, that you think it's, it's, it's a helpful thing. Let them know how you benefited from it. The more believers are using their gifts, the healthier the churches will be. So who gets these gifts? Just the elite, just the mature. You've got to walk with the Lord for a couple of decades and then you start to get a gift here and there. Look at verse 7. Who gets these gifts of the Spirit? But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And it's not just here in the Ephesians text. You can look at it in the other lists of the scriptures. And you can see that the moment we are born again, Christ dispenses these gifts to his people. I believe each and every member has at least one gift. And that's how they benefit the body of Christ. The specific list we have here in Ephesians 4 begins in verse 11, or it is in verse 11. Look at verse 11. And it says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So I believe that the apostles and the prophets are part of the foundation of the church. I don't believe there is any more new apostles and prophets today. As far as evangelists are concerned, it says in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, it mentions Philip the evangelist. We've appointed Brother Aaron as an evangelist here in our church. Also, when I look at missionaries and pastors, I believe that some of them have this gift of evangelism. You see them given over to it. You even see many converts through that, that particular giftedness from these, from these men. And then after evangelists, we have some pastors and teachers. And I would say that pastors and teachers actually goes together, meaning we have four gifts in this list, not five, four gifts. There is an article before each one of these four gifts. The article in, in the New King James is some. Some is before apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, but it's not before teachers. So this is... Four individual gifts. And the, the English translations really follow the Greek. The Greek shows an article before the four gifted men and, and not before teachers. The ESV, instead of the article some, it has the article the. 
It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Shepherds and, and pastors are really interchangeable words. They, they mean the same thing. So this last gift is one gift, the, the pastors and teachers. You can, some people say pastor teacher with a hyphen in the middle. Pastor teacher. Pastor refers to how the, the man cares for, how he spiritually nourishes the people, how he oversees the people, much like how a shepherd does his sheep, caring for them, nourishing them, overseeing them, making sure everything is safe with them, making sure they're not hurting themselves. That's this term, pastor. And then teacher, we know what teacher means, right? It's his ability to teach. It says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, that this pastor or this elder, same thing, must be able to teach. So he is to pastor and he is to teach. The pastor, teacher. And I would say this is a fourth, the fourth, the fourth quality of a healthy church. I did mention that the third quality was, what did I say? The proper use of gifts to serve one another. But I see the value of a good pastor teacher, a good elder in a church for the health of the church that I really call this the fourth quality of a healthy church. And I would say it's a Christ-given pastor. What is the fourth quality? It's Christ-given pastors. I thought, okay, well, how should we name this? Well, we can say God-called pastors. Well, they must be God-called and and I, and I mean that God called pastors would really fit for the fourth quality in, in my understanding, because not every pastor is a God called pastor. Not everybody that has a title, not everybody that calls himself a pastor is what I'm talking about that is necessary for a healthy church. I'm talking about God called pastors who God has called. And as I was looking at the text here, I, I saw, well, these pastors are given. God gives them to his church. And I thought, okay, God-given pastors? Well, I thought, more specifically, these are Christ-given pastors. Look at our text in verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So we're looking at Christ's gift, gifts from Jesus Christ himself. Look at the next verse, verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. This is Jesus giving gifts to to his people. The, the picture is, is, is like a king coming back from war and he's giving his spoils to his subjects, giving his spoils to his people. And this is what Jesus Christ, as our conquering king, has done. He's giving gifts to his church. And then look at verse 11. Verse 11. And he himself gave, and then it says the, the list of the four, some to be apostles, prophets, and so on. So we're looking at Christ-given pastors. Pastors who are given to the church by Jesus Christ himself. And what we do as a church, we just recognize them. And, and that's why certain men are ordained as pastors. By the way, how many times is the word pastors found in the, New, in the New Testament? How many times? Is it a lot of times, not too many times? We can count them. We have one right here, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. That's one. And that's it. There's only one time that the word pastors is in the New Testament. How many times is the word pastor singular in the New Testament? Zero. Pastor, pastors is only in the New Testament one time. I think it's in, in the book of um, Jeremiah, probably like eight times or so. Other than that, it's not in the Bible. 
the word elders is very common in the scriptures referring to the leaders of a Christian church. Elders. That's really the more biblical term. Uh, I think we see it also as far as elders even among the Pharisees. So it's not only referring to Christian pastors, but elders is really the more biblical term for what we call pastors today. And it's just interesting to note that elders isn't very common. You know, we start, and I know, I know a lot of us already know that and we use that term elders, but to a lot of people we use the term elder and they think, are you Mormon? Elders really isn't a common term in Christian circles, but pastors is, and yet pastors isn't really biblical, but it's, it's common. It's, it's what's known today, so I don't make any issues with it. It's just interesting to notice how that kind of happened. <clears throat> but, we're dealing with pastor teachers right here. This is a fourth, the fourth quality of a healthy church. Pastor, the pastor teacher. Don't undervalue a good pastor teacher and how he really helps the church to be a healthy church. Someone once said, pastors aren't necessary for the being of the church, but they are necessary for the well-being of it. So, Jesus-given pastors, Christ-given pastors, not just any pastor, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, let the elders, there's the term elders, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And that's what I'm talking about. That's not just talking about an, an elite kind of pastor. And I think so. But I think every Christ-given pastor would really fit this verse right here in 1 Timothy 5, 17. There are those that would say, that brother is worthy. That brother is worthy, how does it read, to be counted worthy of double honor. Because that brother labors in the, in the, in the word. He labors in the doctrine. And thank God, we have one of those Christ-given pastors in this church today. And I think it would be good to remind him, affirm that giftedness, remind him that you appreciate him. He's a man just like we are. He, he needs encouragement. If it's been a while since you've reminded Kyle that you appreciate him and, and everything that he's done, well, I'll just encourage you, remind him of that. That's human nature, right? If, if there's a, if there's a, a new brother or something like that, or everyone's excited about what's new, but someone who's been pastoring for over a couple, of, a couple of decades, we kind of get used to it. That's his niche. That's what he does. But we all need to be reminded of how we're an encouragement to one another. And we see here in verse 12 how specifically, <clears throat> excuse me, how specifically these Christ-given pastors are instrumental to the healthy church. Look at verse 12. It says, For the equipping of the saints of the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the pastor's purpose is twofold. There are two parts to what the pastor does for the church. The first part is he is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Not doing the work of the ministry himself, but equipping the people for it, equipping the saints for it, so that we all will be doing the work of the ministry. That's really the responsibility of every member of the church doing the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not to be just done by the pastor. The way the scriptures show us this, it's we all are called to the ministry. You're called to ministry. I am called to ministry. We all, every member of the church, every saint is called to ministry. Of course, our ministries will all look different, 
according to the, the giftedness the Lord has given to us, according to our desires, where we are in our life, how busy we are, or, or how much time we have left to, to serve Christ, to serve the body. They all look different, but we're all called to ministry. The ministry was never meant to be done by a few paid or staffed or people with titles. And the, and the body of Christ was never caught, called or never meant to just be in church and just be as spectators. We're all called to the ministry. John MacArthur mentioned how a journalist came from across the U.S. to write a story on his church because his church was growing so quickly. And when the journalist came and, and, and saw everything, he ended up writing this article and he titled it The Church with 900 Ministers. It had 900 members. But he called it the church with 900 ministers because every member of the church was was acting according to his own gifts. Every member of the church had a part to play in the church, for in the life of the church, for the, the health of the church. So the responsibility of the pastor is to equip the church. And how does he equip the church? Well, by praying for the church, by teaching and preaching to the church, by counseling the church. He does this publicly. He does this privately. His manual is going to be the Bible. His example is going to be Jesus Christ as the true shepherd of the sheep. And the second part of the purpose of the pastor is that he is to be edifying the body of Christ. The ESV and the NASB say they're building up the body of Christ. Edifying, building up. And then we see what that looks like. When the pastor is using his gift, when there is a Christ-given pastor in the church, we see what that looks like. We see what the result of that is. Not just... Not just with that one gift, but all of the gifts being used in the church. Not just that, but all of the all of these qualities being used. All the qualities being active in a healthy church are going to result in this. When there is unity, when there is a proper use of the gifts to serve one another, when, when there is Christ-given pastors, when there is healthy doctrine in the church, they all result in what we see here in the rest of, of our text. We're showing it in the negative first, in verse 14, in the negative. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So that's in the negative. Christians in a healthy church are not going to be swayed by false doctrine. They're not going to be tricked by false teachers. They'll be able to discern what is of God and what is not. People who, who can't do that, they just see something that seems to be spiritual and they say, well, that must be of God. But when Christians know the truth, when they're in a healthy church, they can they can discern the truth from the false. It's, it talks about not being or no longer being children. Well, small children can't resist being taken wherever they are led. But strong adults can resist being taken where they don't wish to go. And that's what it's referring to. When Christians are mature in their faith, they know the word of God. They know who their God is. They can see something that's false and they can say, no, I'm not going there. No, I don't believe that. They can warn others about it. That way is dangerous. Don't go in that way. Don't listen to that preacher. Don't believe that teaching. So that's a negative. And the positive, it's in verses 15 and 16. It says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
So this is the result of a healthy church. The body will be speaking the truth and love. Jesus said about himself, I tell the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And his people, the members of his church, they're not going to be liars. They're not going to be manipulators. They're going to be truth speakers. Speaking is really important to the health of the church. I would encourage each one of us, be mindful of the things that you say to one another. Be mindful of what you say. Don't be flippant with your words. Be intentional in what you say. Think about what you're going to say. Our words can destroy and our words can build up. The Proverbs say that our words can cause death and our words can give life. Words are very important. Let's, let's be mindful and intentional in the things that we say to one another. Use your words to encourage one another, to build one another up, to give grace to each other, not to cut each other down, not to bring discouragement, not to bring hurt. And there is so much good that we can learn from this text. We have the goal of the church is in the second part of verse 15. It says that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Jesus is the head and we are the body. All that we have and all that we are is to be directed to Jesus Christ in our worship of him. As we live out our lives, we are to be looking to him and pursuing him. And our purpose is to be for Christ's glory. That's what it is to be Christ-centered. It talks about the body being joined and knit together. That's unity there again. It talks about, it says about the body that every part does its share. That's the gifts of the spirit being mentioned again. Our motive is here in, in this text, and our motive is to be done in love, in love. It says it in verse 2, verse 15, and verse 16, the same thing, in love. And each of those times, it's referring to our relationships with one another, our, our associations, how we deal with each other. There is always to be a motive of love undergirding everything that we say. That is when we should always be saying, I love you, brother, I love you, brother. If you say that, that's fine, but that's not what that's saying. That's saying that in everything that you do, your motive must be love. Love for your brother. Love for your sister. Most of all, love for Christ's honor. The result of the church is given there in verse 13. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we'll get there when we're glorified with Christ in heaven. But that's the result of the church. That's where we are heading. So as we close... As we close, I want to remind us to remember that this Ephesian church, remember that it had very good doctrine. It was able to identify false teachers. It could smell, smell out false teaching. Jesus Christ said about this church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, that they cannot bear with those who are evil. Jesus said that they tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and, and have found them to be liars. So these things seem really good to them, really good for them. But we know the, the problem of the Ephesian church, right? We all remember their problem there in Revelation 2. Jesus said, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Who was their first love? Who's that? Christ Jesus. They have left their first love. Wonderful doctrine, excellent doctrine. They could, they could identify error. They could discern error from the truth and they, they, they would call out false teachers that would come across their path. So they wouldn't get swayed by false doctrine, but they had left their first love. 
And I would encourage each one of us, as, as we're looking at, at these areas of a healthy church, don't neglect to cultivate your relationship with the Lord. You don't have a religion. You have a relationship. And relationships need time. Relationships need intimacy. Relationships need fellowship. You have a relationship with the Lord. And cultivate that through prayer, through times coming away from your busyness, coming away from your schedule, and spending time with the Lord. Don't have your times of prayer, of course. Don't have your times of prayer just be uh, before meals and before bed and when you wake up. It, it can That can just become so traditional and mechanical. But cultivate your relationship with your Lord. Spend time with the Lord in prayer. Spend time with Him in worship. That needs your personal time to be given over to Him. One of the most misinterpreted verses in the Bible is Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Revelation 3 and 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is not knocking at the sinner's door. He's knocking at the door of the church. He's knocking at the door of his people. And there is something very wrong if when we realize that it's Jesus knocking at our door, that we're not running to the door to answer it. We're not in a good place. We're hiding. We're distracted. We're not eager to allow him in to fellowship with us, to sup with us, to dine with us. Open the door to Christ and fellowship with your first love. That's primary for a healthy church. Well, let's pray.